It's post-production Matt, the greatest Matt of them all. Um, so there's no joke this week because unfortunately they were all a bit too X-rated for the opening 30 seconds of a podcast. So yes, everybody, that means it's a Tara episode. Enjoy. She just said, Joe, I got Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the End Podcast. I am the regular, or part of you regular co-hosting team, Matt. And this week we are talking about Barbenheimer! Dum 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 Woo! Fanfare ticket tape! Yeah! But... Is it everything that it's been made up to? That's the big question. So before I introduce you to a surprise co-host today, I will tell you, we are on all your favourite listening locations if you're watching us on YouTube and indeed as the MPod one shots. And we also have a Twitter and an Instagram, which is the end underscore pod. However, if you're listening to us or watching us on YouTube, then subscribe, follow, comment, share, do all that great stuff. And that's not exclusive to YouTube, but what is, is if you listen to us on YouTube, then why don't you go and have a look at our full podcast with the full episode? <laughs> well, that's enough of that out of the way. And as I kind of flirted with you earlier, Tim's not with me today. So co-hosting team is me, Matt, your pop culture popping Jay, but with <laughs> me today is one of the mpod family and it's tara tara how are you baby i'm great now that i'm here with you <laughs> well i generally find that's the way i mean if there's one rule of life <laughs> <That's normal. laughs> Everyday thing. no i'm very happy to be here with you today good so what have you been up to besides life stuff uh, um, online i've been up to for one night only and been mm-hmm. guesting on pink buzz now and then yeah 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 i've been trying to mix it up but, um, but of course, this is my home, so I'm happy this to be is here. Home. It is indeed. <laughs> feels like it's been a long while since there's been such excitement for going to the, the cinemas. I can't remember anything like this post-Endgame. And I went on earlier in the week, maybe like Tuesday, to book my tickets for both of them. And it was odds and ends. It was full. There was actually a couple of showings that actually had sold out on them. And I can't remember ever seeing sold out. There's always like the wide ones at the back or the wide ones at the front. Exceptional. I kept playing with the order. What if I see Oppenheimer first? What if I see Barbie right. first? And how how can I put them together? But Oppenheimer only has five showings. And one's at 9am and one's at 11 because of the length. And then Barbie's just filling up. It was, it was, I would say panic stations, but it was yeah. fucking, it was tough, mate, trying to find like a, like a, a good double bill. However, on Thursday morning, 
there was a couple of extra Barbie showings that were completely empty. And I was like, right, get those bad boys signed up and sent to me. But you know what I did? A lot like today. <laughs> what you won't know, avid listeners, in <laughs> Ashburn, in Brussels, and throughout the world. I was going to say, Brussels, we're talking to you right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've got a second one, though, Tara. We have Ashburn oh. as well now. Yeah, nice. yeah. Welcome, Ashburn. Yeah, unbelievable. We we are now a family plus two. We were adopting. Yeah, that's so indeed. sweet. We have a registry <laughs> if you're interested. <laughs> so, what what you don't know is we were supposed to have been taping this about five or six hours ago, and unfortunately, um, despite it being two o'clock in the afternoon in English time, I <laughs> I was on my sofa <laughs> watching reviews to Barbie to see if you know there's anything I've missed. Maybe I got the wrong end of the stick of it. And I nodded off. I nodded <laughs> off. And I, st- I effectively stood Tara up. What a despicable human being I am. But I also did this on Friday morning. I woke up at 10 to 9, and the showing for Barbie was at half past nine. Yeah, I know. I know. So I was thinking, half of me was like, fuck it, it's done. We'll just try and book one later. But I right. thought, well, let's not make that decision now. Let's try and get there and see what happens. Because I think if we just, like, we just have a Portuguese shower, like a bit of a wash rub down in <laughs> the sink. Is that what you call it? It's yeah, brush, brush my teeth. <laughs> just get, get what I can imagine. <laughs> and, and then it's like, yeah, just fuck it. We'll, we'll just get there and then we'll see. Look, if I miss the first 10 minutes of a Barbie film, it's not going to affect the episode. Exactly. And I get that. I'm, I'm not even rushing. I'm just casual because I think it's like dead and buried at that point. I get in there with like five, like four minutes or three minutes to 10 o'clock. Within mine, it's supposed to start at half past yeah. nine. I take my seat and it's still in the adverts. Oh, you were lucky. Oh, no, that's outrageous behavior by the cinema. Oh, well, I have a theory about that, but I'll save it. However, when I did sit down, it was literally, shh, everybody turn the phones off. Let's not spoil. And then it came up like Barbie, whatever the rating is, and then it got into the film. PG thirteen. So. Well, we don't have. I think yeah, must have was it PG. We don't have PG thirteen here. And what do you use instead? Well, we have U, which is Universal. Then we have okay, PG. So that's like G. Okay. And then we have PG, and then we have fifteen, and then we have eighteen. Okay, that makes more sense, really. I think Oppenheimer was fifteen. Maybe I don't think it was an 18, I think it was 50. Whereas I think yeah, with you, I, it was an R. Yeah, I thought it was a hard R. Oh, that's interesting that it didn't get that. I was going to say, if it wasn't for the one thing, it might have been for the violence. Well, there wasn't even that much violence. So, what's it? I think, no, I guess it's just that I knew there was violence in my head already. Yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You bring the violence with you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, there was brief sexiness, weren't there? Yeah, that's what I was thinking that they probably did it for. Yeah, and I, I, think so, yeah. I don't think they should have cut those, so I think they were important. I mean, it's betraying intercourse, isn't it? It ain't like a, a kiss on the cheek sort of shit, and there was nudity. So, sure. but it was, <laughs> but it wasn't graphic. It weren't like none of these sensual. No, it's very classy. Like these sensual thrillers in the in the nineties that we had, like Body of Evidence, or um, oh yeah, or um, like Basic Instincts and that sort of shit. Right. Like even like the hand, the hand that rocks the cradle was quite saucy. Oh, I love that movie. If we ever yeah. do a rematch. Dude, Rebecca De Mornay, fuck, she was an actress, you know. Yeah. To the point whereby I can't remember who we were talking about previously with this trait, but you're kind of like, 
is she just is she just a bit little is she a little bit touched like is she just a little bit fucking mental <laughs> i don't know but that scene lives rent free in my head for the rest of my mm. life because for our episode that was scheduled scheduled for next week it was going to be tom cruise 80s films oh best off worst off and i recently rewatched the uh, risky business for that yes that's what i was oh, thinking dude. about the train she is an absolute siren there's yes. no two ways about it. Even though Tom Cruise is a short man, but nonetheless a, a hideously attractive man at that age. Like, That's a good word for it, hideously attractive. Yeah. So hideously even him, <laughs> an inexperienced, though attractive young man, has been propositioned by this ne'er-do-well older lady. And she's a pro on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad we had this conversation, Tara. I don't know. I don't know what got us onto it, but I feel like we've been appropriately derailed, and now I'm going to pull it back in. <laughs> oh, it was it was Florence Pugh getting a knockers out in Oppenheimer. Yeah, That's what it that was like. it. Yeah. yeah. Do you think with that? Because you know, um, oh god, what's her name? Jennifer Lawrence in the comedy that she just did, 18 Comedy. I haven't seen it yet, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But she bears she bears all in that, doesn't she? Like on Okay, she, I heard she, she did, but... Do you think because of like what happened with the iPhone leak and the frapping and like the shit that Florence Pugh's been getting on the red carpet about, you know, like unfair commentary on on her natural body shape? Do you think actresses that have been sort of subjected in that way physically, like almost commodified physically in a negative way, do you think they just get to a point in their career when they go, well, what fucking difference does it make now? Like, I might as well. Like, if this I is what you imagine. want, then go for it. Yeah, I imagine that's possible. I, I Obviously, we no one's ever asked them a question like that that I know of where I heard it. But just thinking about it, it kind of makes sense. Like when the horse is out of the barn at some point, you yeah. just lean in. Yeah, I can imagine one of the worst things for a young lady to have to go through when Jennifer Lawrence said that the worst thing about it wasn't that she knew it was there, is that she could go to a friend's house, like a barbecue, and there'd be people mm -hmm. there that she doesn't know that she knew at any moment could go on their phones and find new pictures of it that was supposed to be like something between her and... Um, oh, that's oh, really well. Like about a boy. Who's the about a boy guy? Play uh, Beast for Nicholas the X-Men. James McAvoy? Yes, sorry, I was going to yeah. say Nicholas. There was supposed to be like a, you know, like a, a nice moment between her and the boyfriends, and then it gets hacked. But yeah, I think there must be a point where it's like, well, what does it matter now? Like, okay, sure. So let's get on to the, the first film then, shall we, Tara Baby? Yes, we shall, Matt Darling. <laughs> we have Barbie, which was directed by Greta Gerwig, who has had a fantastic, if fledgling, directorial career. She did one of Tim's actual favourite adaptations of Lady Little Bird? Women. Oh, Little, Little Women. Women. And one of my favourite films of that year was, was Lady Bird as well. Mm -hmm. um, now, Noah Bombach, or Bombach, I don't know how you say that specifically, mm -hmm. is her partner. And he also has a history with indie films. He did Marriage Story for Netflix, probably most prominently. But Tara, that's all the things that have already happened. Barbie is something that is currently happening. Now, what were your yes, general did. thoughts on this? What were your vague, but very distinct <laughs> at the same time? <laughs> how, how did you think of it in the broadest sense? Did you enjoy it? Yes, in the broadest sense, I enjoyed it. And I also felt like I was having a singular experience. This is not an everyday movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I also wondered if the people in the theater 
he actually knew that it was for adults. <laughs> yeah, that is that is something. Yeah, that's a big, next big to question. some very small children that I felt like could maybe use an intervention. <laughs> yeah, but what was your general experience like? Because I've never seen anything like it before. Like, because we're quite reserved over here in Blighty. Where the only Hopefully film that's <laughs> ever got whooping and cheering or, or even clapping, there was yes. conservative clapping when Spider Man came through uh, at the is end of bad? Endgame. And people were like, Yes, well done, Spider Man, you're back. <laughs> Bravo, go Very on, Spider Man. Yeah, three claps, and then people were looking around. Who's clapped the fourth time? <laughs> 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 yeah. No, it was very loud. It was loud here. Um, yeah. Besides the children chattering, there were also people talking back to the screen and cheering yeah. at certain moments and things like that, which yeah. I'm used to. So with it here, like everybody, not everybody, but it was. I think it's like school holidays, so you had like your late yes, teenagers, and then you also had um, like um, ladies of probably young or established families. So we're talking like thirties, forties maybe in 50s, that everybody was wearing pink. Everybody. Yes, and in some it cases, was, there were three generations of people together. That was really like, cool. It was really Yeah, cool. everybody was like dressed for the club, basically. And I saw a few men do such a wonderful job of it. I, was oh, like, I know, because I wish I had, like, thinking about it afterwards. I thought, yeah, I reckon I could have put something together. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy in, in our showing, and I, you know, for obvious reasons, I didn't tell him I appreciated his outfit because I didn't want to be arrested. But... <laughs> <laughs> but he he really pulled off like a baby tank top that came like to midriff. Oh, what a guy! Did he I have a little paunch? Did he have a paunch or was he ripped up? He was ripped, but he was a baby, oh, so I couldn't okay. have impure thoughts. But if he had been older, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, you can you don't control where they come from, Tara. What you do about them is under your control. Have you been talking to my therapist? <laughs> Maybe I am your therapist. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> one never knows. Do one. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I was more excited about the proposition of the whole Barbenheimer thing. You know, yes. Like, yeah. This is because, you know, it's not our jobs, but. We really enjoyed this sort of stuff and we, you know, we volunteer like quite substantial amounts of time to the podcast. So when you have like something that's come from nowhere, that mm -hmm. feels like a, an event that is, it sort of surpass, surpasses your own circles and it's kind of like almost in the zeitgeist immediately, that mm -hmm. when you can attend that, and I, I often go to the cinema on Fridays, sorry. And like with Mission Impossible 4, a week earlier and i saw that on saturday because i go in the daytime i'll get a mcdonald's breakfast on the way i'll see the first one at 11. that's a good idea it is a good idea it's the best yeah. idea because then you're you're hooked you're hooked up on msg and french fries and you're, exactly. and you're like <laughs> or, or like egg mcmuffins and hash browns and you're just you're you can't wait to get set down set down that's probably why i fall asleep so much in the cinema as well oh you know it does make sense now that you say that <laughs> So I'm going in with like some cheese sticks in my purse just in case. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can watch the first one early afternoon and then miss the rush hour traffic and get home for about four o'clock and you know get yeah. down the pub or make yourself a, a, a succulent Chinese meal. <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> and usually I wouldn't say they're empty, but they're sparsely populated because I was specifically gone in the morning and the afternoon, early afternoon I like before that. Yeah, because yeah. it feels like it's more my comfy space. I mean, I went to see yeah. the biggest one I did uh, 
I've done a couple of three fours, and I've done a couple of four fours, and I've and I've done um, I've done um, yeah, I think I've done yeah, mostly I'll try and do a two for like if I go like I'll get two. Oh, I just caught what you meant. Just me giving you orientation reflex on that. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so but yeah, and usually I will have the cinema basically to myself. But this year's been different again. Not getting off the topic of Barbie, but. It's been relentless. Like usually, I do that, and it's catching up with films that weren't quite big enough for us to talk about, and there might be one. But recently, like oh, it's been one after another. Yeah, been relentless. I um, <laughs> I liked it, but it wasn't without its faults. Margot Robbie and um, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. They didn't do it tongue-in-cheek. They committed to the characterizations of, of Barbie and Ken. Set design, like, I felt that like I was in a toy set. The way that they took the finer parts of playing with the toy kit and translated mm-hmm. that into a film was was really... But then when it went into the actual story, I was, I was really impressed in the way that they did it. And you're absolutely right. This isn't a kid's film. Not at all. Not at all. Not I could at hear all. them disengaging when it got to the real part of the movie. Greta Gerwig knew exactly the type of film she wanted to make. All power to Warner Brothers for, you know, I don't say many positive things about Warner Brothers, but all power to them for allowing her to to make this film. And also Barbie as a brand, it satirised it and it pointed out its faults, but it also pointed out its positives. So fair play to Mattel for allowing this film to be made in this way. Even poked a bit of fun at themselves, which I thought I really wasn't expecting them to. So I thought yeah. that was a surprise. A couple of the things that I let itself down was consistency of are we going for realism or are we going for like fantastical realism or you know mm-hmm. realistic fantasy? And some scenes were a bit, oh, but I thought we we're in the real world now. How come it's looking like this now? Like we had a very serious yeah, moment. And now yeah. we're in in this sort of almost like pseudo dance sequence that would have been yeah. appropriate in West West Side Story or something. Do you remember reruns of shows like The Monkees where they would have like... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. It was like a, a diversion from the main plot. Yeah, or yeah. the end credits of an episode of Benny Hill. <laughs> yes, exactly the same. So while there was a clear message, at times it mixed its intent a little bit because it was sympathetic to Cam in one instance, but then one or two moments when it was almost out of character, stare at the camera and make a speech about the patriarchy or... Yeah, I got a little speech about about, it. You know, you're doing really well. You're letting people make their own minds up and you're you're giving quite a balanced viewpoint on most things. And now Mm -hmm. I feel like you're stopping the film and just looking at me and telling me. Given how great that temptation could have been, though, I felt like they were very... um restrained in terms of how much they did that because I would have been tempted this is the kind of thing I'd lecture on literally yeah (laughs) so so to not give into the urge to be like well we're all here let me tell you what this really is kind of thing yeah yeah I think there was some restraint shown there they played Ken as not like antagonistic but they showed from a male point of view I would say from the male gaze, because that always has like negative connotations. But do you know the anniversary of that was like a couple of weeks ago? It's timed perfectly. What's that? Sorry. The male gaze had its 40th anniversary recently. Was that a film or? 
No, just the idea of um, what is it? Oh, called? really? When, when she put the idea out, it was fifty years ago. Right, yeah, right. And right. I don't know if that was an incredible coincidence or not, but I got got like a queued up article about it in yeah. my feed. But I think it did a really good job of seeing how despondent young men are and trying to find you know somebody to respect them or somebody to yeah. to love them and how difficult that's become, especially with how internet dating and things like that that it almost the power is with the women in that instance and and mm. i think that that showed the helplessness of some young men's plights i mean not that they look like ryan gosling and have six packs and are just in a, a manufactured right. situation but i really enjoyed that opening part of the film because i thought it was that experience is quite evident of what a lot of young men actually experience day to day and I thought it's great that they're showing the sort of two sides to the situation. Can I add a bit to that and say that? Yeah, um, of course. I think the dream has always been that the fact that men weren't being commodified as much was going to be our route out of being commodified. But instead, it seems like we've found a new way to commodify men so that they're getting bad exactly. treatment. And so yeah. it was it was yeah. nice to see someone sort of admit that. And also when they went through to the real world and then the idea of the patriarchy, when that was, you know, very firmly grasped as the, the central motif of the second act of the film, when Ken, Ryan Gosling's Ken, found out about it, and then he tried to enact the patriarchy in his benefit, that it actually showed that, that maybe there is a patriarchy, but at the mm-hmm. same time, that's not the common experience for every ma- every man. And then he was like, okay, no. I'm going to be a doctor now. Well, are you qualified enough? And then he was like, well, I'm right. a, and it went and it went through it. I went through it and then went through it until he was just trying to be beach can. And he was <laughs> like, well, beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you swim? Can you, do you have like life-saving abilities? And he was like, no, I, I just no, beach. I beach. Yeah. Again, like it was this really well-balanced discussion of, you know, everybody has personal boundaries it's difficult for everybody and that was kind of like equally oppressive to both men and women in that structure yes yeah I think they really hit the sweet spot with that like I I, I almost yeah in the back of my head I was kind of hearing for your consideration (laughs) yeah I was do you know what I was almost clapping I I was almost clapping I was almost clapping some women in our theater did clap especially um the monologue that um I just lost her name America Ferrera gives about how much freaking work it is just to live up to all the image yeah oh god yeah and that was one of the moments for me when I was like okay let's stop the film and let's let's listen to you (laughs) okay but I was just that's the difference is that I was kind of excited by the feedback from the audience because I thought I was going to be the only nerd like rooting for that part and I heard that I was not alone in the theater oh my god sorry to interrupt you go on But um, I was my childhood bestie and we laughed at each other because we both just accidentally picked olive drab instead of pink. And I'm like, well, we're going to see G.I. Joe, clearly. And everyone else. <laughs> and my Barbie did date my G.I. Joe. I actually at some point want to talk about our Barbie. Yeah. So I have a double hit for you here. So when I was a kid, you, the viewers can't see me right now. So I am black, but in an ambiguous sort of way. So if you look at me, I'm sort of a Rorschach test for what you think. So people often walk up to me and speak Spanish. You know, like I never know what's gonna happen. Um, Sometimes they think I'm Asian. There's all kinds of things that I get, assumptions I get. When I was little, my parents gave me 
um, Malibu Barbie and Skipper and told me that like, because they were tan, they were, I thought they were, and I'm going to use the American term, light-skinned. <laughs> Instead of just regular light-skinned, <laughs> light-skinned did. And I played with them thinking that I had found my niche and later was like, oh, damn, I'm never going to be Barbie. And and I instead, we ended up playing Land of the Lost because I don't know if you've ever seen Malibu Skipper, but she is a ringer for the lead in Land of the Lost with the dinosaur. Right, 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 right. So between that drama going on and um, I must admit, like, I don't know what I was seeing. Well, I know a little bit because of therapy. Um, <laughs> but we definitely played domestic violence barbie we definitely played <gasps> sexualized barbie we did things like leave them in the barbie's house alone and then one had fallen over in the night and we'd be like ken was a little hard on her <laughs> you know, so uh, are you shocked he's speechless <laughs> no no I'm listening. I'm listening. this is a rare occurrence i've made matt speechless i want this on record <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is what he does to me i have never actually done it to him before this moment i'm so excited right now i'm just gonna be pleased with myself quietly i'll take a moment but, yeah <laughs> take a bow and i did use the gi gi joe accessories to play with my barbie so she did make ken the cuckold in the in the situation and make barbie really <laughs> joe and ride in his Jeep and stuff like that. And Ken was sort of racing around in her Corvette and trying to keep her from singing in the nightclub because I also had like a one of those fashion, uh, what do you call them? Beauty pageant Barbies. And so right, she right, came right. with this silver spangled gown. So that meant she was like a hoe out singing in the clubs when Ken went to work. So <laughs> it was really a lot that we did. And there was a book also in the 90s called Mondo Barbie. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. Um, I mean, you okay, can find so, out, though. Yeah, it's really good. People send in their experience with Barbie in the form of short stories, and it's sort of precious to me. Like, I still remember specifics about some of the short stories and kind of wrote one in my head about what I'd want to do if I had a chance to contribute. And this kind of brought it all rushing back. Like, this is a moment. It felt like a watershed moment for some reason. Um, but, but yeah. Well, I had a, I can remember when I wanted a She-Ra to go with Mahima. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think I was quite as... It was and She-Ra, not like Barbie and Ken, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't remember. I mean, I can always remember being, I think like, I wouldn't say sexualized child, because that would mean I would sexualize myself. But let's just say from an early age, I knew where my willy was. <laughs> That's different. Yeah, that that's probably natural. That's a good kind of sexual life. <laughs> yeah. You know where the spot is that feels good is different. Yeah. And then when I started sense. like like grinding my bum hole against the end of the bed as well, I was like, cool. <laughs> a little bit creative, yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of like just like experience points that you've unlocked level two. <laughs> right, exactly. That's that's a perfect analogy. I do remember giving the bedpost an eye, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you know the edge of the bed becomes a shower door, and then the rest exactly. is history. <laughs> the rest is history. Thank God for showers, and thank you whoever invented the pulse on the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the moment of thinking, "Oh my uh, God, if I find a human being that can do this, I'm really in trouble." I remember that trip trip to Germany very well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no doubt. Oh yeah. I also pulled three muscles at the same time and didn't want to cry for help because I couldn't explain what had happened. 
that is the worst kind of explanation you ever. So how? Uh, so how is it your your hamstring, your shoulder? <laughs> and, it's simple, and, really. <laughs> yeah, I I slipped. I slipped. I fell. Uh, things happened. <laughs> Someone's gooch got tickled. <laughs> I like that word. I've never used the word scooch, but I think I'm going to now. The gooch. gooch. Oh, gooch. I like scooch too. So, <laughs> well, you call it a taint, don't you, over there? We call yes, we do call it a taint. That's base that taint one thing and taint another. Yeah. <laughs> tainted love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me wonder now. If that's what they were singing about. <laughs> Well, it'd make a lot of sense. I mean, Mark Almond wasn't shy of uh, he wasn't shy of a lot of things. That makes me want to sing the line, but I'm not going to do it and give you tape like that. Do you remember that he did a cover version of um, "Something's Got a Hold of My Heart" with Gene Pitney? No, I don't. That sounds like something I would really oh, dig. Though I had it on a seven-inch single as a um, as a child under the age of ten. It was one of the first songs that I could ever remember buying. But like it was kind of like Gene Pitney. Oh, something's got a hold of my heart, and my soul, and my senses apart. And then obviously Mark Almond comes in with his absolute syrup, and you're like, "Fucking, I ain't gonna do that on a podcast." Forty years later, <laughs> we're gonna have to look that one up. I need to hear that. Oh, it's a good one. I like it. So, what were we talking? We were talking about Barbie, Sarah. Hey, we I don't. Did. <laughs> Taints, Barbies, and talking about that, they did not have taints, did they? Oh my gosh, that scene where they talk about what they do and don't have was one of my favorite moments in the movie. I think when Ken says and, that line, are we doing no spoilers, right? Well, no, we do spoilers. Yeah, just don't get out of the, the park. part where he says, "I have all the genitals." It's like, one of my <laughs> and I, I and I say that I almost switched off in the first ten minutes, but I liked how literally. The literal interpretation of some like without the hand it would pick her up and it would just like float yes, her down to the drop. car yeah and then she she'd be in the car and the car would be driving on its own and she's like waving out the back if of it was thing. the right proportion to the car like real barbie was kind of stuck in the car her feet didn't yeah. really fit yeah it's really good oh yeah, um, before we move on too quickly i was like oh, oh fuck i ain't gonna watch what i say it is what it is um i, I you... haven't been watching what i say come with me there was a moment when I was like, is that the is that the trans guy from like the Miller? I was like, is it because it looks a little bit like him stroke her? Shit, is that is that trans Barbie? And then it took me a long, even in the final scene that, that she was in, um, Ryan Gosling's Ken was in front of her going, You were absolutely beautiful. I was like, that's that's I don't think that was originally a lady lady. <laughs> I missed that. I missed that actually. Now but it was so, but it there's twofold questions. One, well, there's two points, and I think they're uh, contrary to each other, and it depends on which side you fall into. One, inclusion for inclusion's sake, has there ever been a trans Barbie? Are we just ticking a box? Are we just doing this to get a reaction? Second of all, the fact that it took me a good couple of minutes this morning to even find out who the, the lady actor, the actor was, yeah. says to me that it wasn't. However... There has to be some intent there in the first instance to provide Absolutely. it. But they didn't make a song and dance about it in the film. Which is the way it should be, honestly, I think. Yeah. It's just happening instead of like, let's put a spotlight on it and say, woo, watch us 
with our that's the way it should be yeah. And, yeah, when re- I think and when you really have to think about it that much as well you just say fair play to the lady like you've done a good job absolutely. of being a trans lady like you, you're you're winning <laughs> you're winning at being trans like yeah <laughs> i have not even seen one thing said online about it like there's not been any i mean don't get me wrong i don't bother with really with twitter anymore no but but on google all my stuff is about films or leicester city so right. i usually like sense. you know what people really think about or like so i don't i think it went unnoticed by and large i think you're right because my algorithm is not that far off yours at this point thanks to my leicester city adoption <laughs> but um I haven't seen anything about it. And I also spent a good part of the day yesterday plugged into NPR and I didn't hear anybody talking about it there either, which would be yeah, a place yeah. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, well done to one Greta Gerwig. I'll tell you what, let's not objectify the actress. Who was it? No, I don't want to. Harry, Harry or Harry Neff. Okay. Was the actress's name. So yeah, fair play. Fair play to, to Harry, Harry or Harry. What about the Dua Lipa in uh, John Cena cameos? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just, I, I think at one point I actually exclaimed John Cena for the win, if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> they were just nice little extras. It's what the film does really, really well. It gives you something to think about, and then it gives you a moment, and then it's pretty well put together. So I suppose that's good editing. The thing mm-hmm. that I was talking about earlier, when Barbie and Ken are in the real world, they have very mm-hmm. real world pushback to, you know, they're wearing the the fluorescent, the day glows, beachwear, yeah. the, the day glow rollerblades. And they're, yeah, they're going down. People are like, what the hell's going on with you lot? And then yeah. it's all played as quite real world experience. But when they go to right. the Mattel offices and you have uh, Will Ferrell and you have the gentleman that spots the problem, it's kind mm-hmm. of almost played like a musical exaggerated and over-expressioned kind of perverted it's intense to me it reminded me a lot at that point of elf which will call back yeah the main arc was about reconnecting with the person that owned her and the the misdirect that she thought it was a child but it wasn't it was one of the mother's final memories of growing up and that when a kid moved away that romanced the barbie doll because it reminded her of her growing up with her young daughter mm-hmm. and although it came back to a lot more of like a traditional comedies trope sort of thing as opposed to the almost absurdist um realization of barbie mm-hmm. that when we then went back to almost surrealist musical elements with will ferrell i was kind of well i thought i thought we'd taken the step beyond this and now we're sort of injecting it in against what you've told me this part of the film is yeah, it sort of felt like a stutter step. I remember in the movie, uh, my best, my childhood bestie and I looked at each other and simultaneously said, what the fuck? You know, yeah. and sort of shrugged like, you know, we'll just roll with it. But what's, what's going on here? We just kind of went, okay, we'll let them have that, but we don't understand it. Maybe it'll make sense later kind of thing. And that was jarring at that point. Even the way that they used the, who was the narrator? It was a really famous- um, Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren, exactly I right. I thought it was Hannah Waddingham, and I was so excited. And then when I found out it was Helen Mirren, I'm like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the way that they used that and the way that they used the background music and the sing-along elements to it, they started it with a very traditional made-for-kids, 
Barbie's doing great. Barbie wins the day. And then the way that they corrupt that going through mm-hmm. the same world with the narration from Helen Mirren, that even that showed the progression from Barbie land to putting her in the real world. Real world, yeah. Even those aspects of it told you what to expect, where we were from the film, whereas the whole Mattel dreary grey mm-hmm. and their role was almost do you think it was just to purely placate Mattel because in the end it was kind of like well we were only doing these anti-feminist villains patriarchy oh that's a good and, point and then by the end of it all we wanted to do was give little girls something to play with and we're we'll help you save the day kind of thing at the end that does fit in with her whole bit about what do you mean the real world's not perfect we set out to make it better for women what do you mean it's not working that way because it absolutely didn't work that way. It kind of worked the opposite. Yeah, yeah that's. I think that's a good point. I'm, I'm ready to get on board with your point there. And that's a good way to still leave Mattel in a, in a bit of a good light so that they could get on board with this. Because at first I was kind of like, did they agree to this? <laughs> but, <laughs> but when you say it that way, it makes perfectly good sense that they would. Yeah, like that. we're going to be honest about the film, but in the end, we're going to show you, to, you know, your intentions were true and, and we're actually going to put you into the resolution of the film. That's Right. Kind of... It felt a little bit forced. So that makes sense that they needed yeah, it to does, do yeah. it. Yeah, it yeah. makes a lot I, more sense. If there was ever anybody to play play Barbie, it was Margot Robbie. She was up for that. I need, to, I need to be honest with you, Tara. There was, a, there was a point <laughs> after about over an hour into the film, and I had a massive stiffy. <laughs> <laughs> like not not even like half mass this was a fucking really? temple on these reclining seats and i was like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> <laughs> looks like we're crossing she our legs for the next hour <laughs> i wish i could give you some kind of counterpoint that would make you feel better but i it didn't was get fucking, you know. it was outrageous like literally yeah. i just looked down and went because I mean, especially some of the shots from back with her walking away. A unbelievable, bunchy. mate. That's what did it. And, and I was thinking, look, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not against the rules to be stirred romantically while you're watching an attractive woman. No, it's not. her away wearing very little. But then, but to have a raging stiffy in the middle of what you expected <laughs> to be a child's film is not acceptable. It's not, <laughs> it's not no. at all. It's I, not. I'm going to be on the front page of the local newspaper is fucking cinema pervert. I'll come forward and speak for you if something happens. But but I kept thinking, you know, I kept thinking it's PG-13. It's okay. Do you know what I mean? When I had other thoughts that were very Mm. adult, I kept thinking this is not really meant for children. It's not my fault that people brought their children. (laughs) Okay. And in fairness, I'll always sit. I always sit in the first three rows, so it wasn't that oh, big that enough for anybody else to see it. <laughs> that, makes, that makes sense. We were at least six or seven rows back on purpose because I have gotten a stiff neck before from being in the first couple rows, and so we try to avoid that. Well, at least we both had something stiff. <laughs> right? We have that in common, and, and look at what I'm sporting here. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, crikey. I'm touching my neck right now, you guys. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make it clear that I'm not doing anything bad. Uh, lie, lie on your back and shut your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good grief. 
But yeah, yeah Margot, Margot Robbie, if there was anybody to play Barbie ever. Helen Mirren nails it, doesn't she? When she says, mm. by the way, you know, like footnote. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be talking about how this perfection doesn't exist in real life. Maybe don't get Margot Robbie for the <laughs> yeah, because she yeah. was there embodying the perfection that we're talking about how it can't exist yeah, so. yeah yeah and what i liked about it as well on that note in more seriousness that i noticed that none of the actors that played barbie none of them were mcu bodied none of them were mm, they had a the nice natural shape there was no six packs. There was no cum gutters. There was no obliques on show. For all. That's a really good point. And, they did that to the Kens, not the Barbies. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's more of that sort of fifties pinup look, really. That it right. Would have been she based she looked like the original Barbie, down to the outfit. That was really well done. That part in the beginning that that did the callback to um, what is it, Space Odyssey? Um, I've forgotten the year because we've passed uh, it in real life. Two thousand and one. If they said something basically. If you don't like this, then you should probably get back to um, promoting one of Zack Snyder's film franchises or something. Oh, like that, that was hilarious! I'm, I'm really so, oh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant because it, it was it, so self-aware. The whole film was self-aware like that. Yeah, that wink, wink, and knowing that they're in on the joke is a whole different level than wondering whether they're in on the joke. It, you don't feel mean when you're laughing at the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? If if Ryan Gosling was best supporting actor um, come April I would have no problems with that as somebody as a cinephile as somebody that loves watching films loves the indie stuff you know we'll watch anything that A24 that Neon that Fox Searchlight put out I'm not a snob I'm not connoisseurist only please yeah yeah but Ryan Gosling for especially for a man that you would imagine that isn't doesn't have an emotional connection to Barbie he just played it like not straight but he played the role as it needed to be played there almost needs to be a new word for the kind of straight man that he played because i and and i also kept thinking i thought he could never top the notebook for me but i think this is tying in terms of me respecting his skills as an actor Mm. oh what's the one that i loved him in when he plays the ukulele in the uh, with uh, michelle williams is it blue valentine you know, I don't think I saw that one yet. He's one of my favorite actors. I don't know what my top five is. Like, there mm-hmm. might be seven actors in my top five if I make a list, but he's definitely right. one of my top five actors, right? Drive yeah. is one of my all-time favorite films. I love that film. The soundtrack, the way he's so taciturn, introverted, but yet, you know, it's almost like an autistic way of being kind of highly skilled, but like socially inept. Yes, that's a that's a really hard balance to strike, and he seems really good at it somehow. Oh, he's he's brilliant. I don't know anybody I could compare him with, even. Do you? His filmography is like you're putting peak Ryan Reynolds and peak Bruce Willis together. Well said. Smashing them into one. Smashing them, yeah. Wait, did you just say I get to smash them? I'm sorry. I mean, for me, for me, you can do it, Tara, baby. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like, I'm, I'll let I'm you good. watch because I'm that I'm kind good of girl. <laughs> oh, I, <don't... laughs> oh, I want to join in now. I'm not good at watching. <laughs> likes a cock anyway. Jump in. <laughs> oh, good grief. And I'll tell you somebody else that stood out to me in this, who is somebody that I have never enjoyed at all. 
and it's I don't even think she was particularly funny on Saturday Night Live on the clips I've watched but Kate McKinnon in this is weird Barbie just just you know take take a bow she was brilliant nailed it she knew what was expected she knew the remit she did wonderfully and that could have been so ruined by overplaying it that she didn't go 100 percent 100 percent yeah, yeah. I, I feel all the more confident that she's going to really have a good film career along with her oh, TV no career. way. Aritu Arya was in it as well. No way. I didn't know really? that was her. Yeah, she's one of my favourites from Umbrella Academy. And yeah. she... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's... Oh, she's good. A... Okay, I'm not crazy. Ryan Gosling was the protagonist in Lars and the Real Girl because that's that kept popping into my head too i don't know if you've ever have you ever seen that no it's a new one on me you will love it it's about do you know what real girls are quote unquote i'm doing that with my hands since you can't no 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 doing it um uh, it's a an actual doll that exists it's a sex doll that exists in the real world and he falls in love to the point where he brings her around to his family and stuff and it's it's like perpetually awkward in the best possible kind of way you really need to see it what's that one called again Lars and the Real Girl, and I can tell you that I just looked it up on IMDb because it was bothering me. 2007. I have it on DVD. If we lived closer, I could just drop it off at your house. Yeah, but I think the travel cost, you're probably probably better just, I don't know, cutting the finger off and sending it in the post, to be honest. That would be less stressful. (laughs) Yeah, I think we would enjoy watching that one together because it's just so, I, I don't have a word for the level of awkwardness that exists perpetually in that film. Do you know what? That seems to be, I mean, he did The Notebook in 2004, those bits before Young Hercules, um, mm-hmm. but he, I think he was actually, I think he was actually Hercules in that, wasn't he? Was it? Yeah, he was Hercules in The Young Hercules. <laughs> How preposterous. But he was in Half Nelson. Um, yeah, Fracture, Murder by Numbers, all kinds Half of good ne- stuff. Yeah, Lars and the Real Girl. And then he no hit Blue Valentine, all good things, yeah. drive, crazy, stupid love. That was really his breakout period. It really was. He was blowing up. Drive was 2011. Okay, Only God Forgives was two years later. And then he, wow. So between Blue Valentine, he did Drive in, drive in, so drive in 2011, Crazy, Stupid Love 2011, Ides of March 2011, Drunk History, one episode 2011, Place Beyond the Pines to 2012, Gangster Squad 2013, and Only God Forgives in 2013. I think, was that the same creative team? Only God Forgives is Drive, maybe the same writer or director. I'm not sure, to be honest, because I didn't see Only God Forgives, but I saw Drive. So writer, director, Nicholas uh, Windling, reference, was Only God Forgives. And let's Take a looky Lewis drive. Director was Nicholas Winding Reffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, I thought they were quite close together, but I didn't realize his output over that time. That's crazy. How did I forget Albert Brooks was in that? I love him, but I won't get it Even when you look at like after Only God Forgives, two years break, The Big Short, The Nice Guys, La La Land. I feel like La La Land was when the volume went back up on him. Blade Runner 2049, First Man. He's been consistent for almost 20 years. Can I just tell you, this is embarrassing, but there were several parts in the movie and I'll just reiterate for you that I was totally sober at the movie. <laughs> like I, I was daytime, weekday Tara, and 
I just kept getting fixated on things like how precisely they cut his hair and how he moved yeah, yeah. and like all the there were so many little tiny elements that made his performance so spot on that I just yeah. like I hope this doesn't get looked over in the yeah. somehow it's not like easy said, no qualms about him being in the best I, I suppose there's only five so maybe that changes it a little bit but let's say he was in there I'd have no qualms but I suppose it's not like 10 with best film is it so but yeah that I have was heard fantastic. I, yeah I've heard at least one reviewer say they think that there's going to be an Oscar nod for him so I yeah, yeah. but it's July so I should just shut up it's not even the Oscar season yet but Four of those five spots will probably be taken up between December and in April. Whatever. That's what I'm thinking too. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, do you have anything else to say about it? No, except to say that it was the kind of movie that I left wanting to see again. I think that's a good bridge for me. Yeah, I'd watch it again. So, mm -hmm. in our in our way of rating a film, you only recommend that somebody watches it or you don't you can't seven out of ten watch a film so no so we do don't you... need numbers we don't need no stinking yeah. numbers uh, i would definitely recommend numbers. yeah i would too yeah i would definitely recommend so dear listeners what you don't realize is we just took a little comfort break in between our thoughts and feelings on the two films Listen, filmmakers, comfort break, really good idea. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back, and this is our thoughts and feelings on Oppenheimer. <laughs> what did you think about it, Tara? Okay, so I have a secret that you don't know about me, and don't be afraid. It's not a bad okay. secret. Okay, cool. <laughs> Okay, so as a as a nerdy child, um, my my mother and my aunt often took me with them to adult movies, thinking that I would fall asleep or otherwise occupy my time instead right, of getting right. into the movie. And so I saw all the President's Men in the movie way way before <laughs> I should have, and it's become one of my all time favorites. Like I can recite pieces of it, and I just kept thinking, I don't think a film has, I don't want to overstate, but it felt like significant. It felt significant to the point where okay. I will be comparing it to all the presidents met in my head. And for me personally, that is a very big deal. You were suitably impressed. Yeah, I was. I mean, I think there were parts that, how can I put it? The things that I thought maybe could have been more clear, I'm not sure how I would have made them clear without getting didactic. So I'm willing to say that there's, you know, some subjectivity and that we have to kind of live with that. But yeah, I and I'll say some more about subjectivity when we get to the finer points of the movie. But I really enjoyed it and immediately was thinking I could watch this again, like right this minute. Really? Now, to be fair, to be fair, I did what I do before I'm getting on airplanes, which is like limit my fluids hours before so that I won't be uncomfortable. And I was sort of shocked when the credits rolled that I wasn't, you know, doing the bathroom dance really? at that point in my seat. Yes. Yes. Um, and I, I thought about you because I know that we both like to wiggle a little bit. <laughs> I thought I wasn't possibly yeah. going to make it. And I kept thinking, I hope I don't pick the wrong scene to run out. But I made it somehow through the three hours. I loved this film and liked it less and less as it went through. Really? The first hour when it was about him getting the scene together, 
what I noticed was how much story had been told in such a short amount of time. I that was, was my favorite. In, I was in raptures about the editing um, mm-hmm. because I realized we were definitely past the hour mark now. We have to be. So much as story has been told. And, the first act was incredible. And yeah, just the editing. I, I started noticing the cuts and they were quite rapid. Like no scene before it went to a different location or it went to, and it wasn't just this guy's talking now, this guy's talking. You're, right. you're talking like 30 seconds between scenes. And I thought, wow, if this is going to keep my attention like this for the whole three hours. Then let's do it. I think what I would like, what I would have liked to have known, I mean, look, it's in the title, it's Oppenheimer. It is a biopic in every mm-hmm. single meaning. It wasn't about the nuclear bomb. It wasn't about the, you know, excuse the pun, the fallout of that in global terms but i do feel that in the first hour or so that it did it set the film up a little bit like that because it was a race against the nazis it was a race against the russians a race to make us understand how someone could get to that point subjectively to thinking that creating the greatest weapon could be the greatest the fastest path to peace but i just feel like it almost slowed exponentially to the point where i felt that the last hour was almost redundant I know. Really? Yeah, I did do. I, I completely switched out. The sound engineering was pristine. The way yes. that a chorus of foot stomping could be turned into the rumblings of an atomic bomb. Oh, one of my biggest problems with this was the score, and specifically in the third really? act. Really? As I lost interest in the film, and also as the film became more genteel, I liked the espionage part of it in the second act, but the third act was just one room with people and it they were basically saying we'd like to refer you to article three clause mm-hmm. uh, but and, but then it was still going boom article 11 11a b one boom right and i'm they like, did do I'm like this scene just isn't like this isn't necessary at this point in time the only reason why it's necessary is to add a level of of dramatic irony that isn't actually in this scene and I did find it incredibly frustrating almost like Return of the King but it wasn't for 15 minutes it was an hour's worth of Return of the King um, postscript. Okay I'm going to say maybe the nerdiest thing I've ever said here Um, and that's a lot (laughs) that's a high bar as someone who was unknowingly exposed to theories about revisionist history at an early age. And I didn't realize until I got older that that was a big deal that I got to find out what that was when I was a teenager instead of an adult and things like that. I felt like that part where it drags for you was where it drove home for me that we are watching revisionist history in progress. So for me, I felt like that it was a necessary pace, like unlike movies that shall not be named that we've talked about before where we could tell you where to make the cuts so it wouldn't be so bloated i didn't feel that i didn't feel that thing that you felt and i i feel i feel like i want to apologize to you because you felt that (laughs) because i so enjoyed like finally some attention to the fact that um well ironically i have to use the word fact again here that facts don't exist in a vacuum and that they change over yeah, time. Yeah, I thought yeah. the way they did that was really brilliant. And to be fair, subjectively speaking, talking to someone I know in the real world and trying to explain to him why I was excited about seeing the movie and he's yeah. in his thirties 
So he was not a Cold War baby. So I had to explain to him like, no, there was literally a time when the smartest people in the world thought that if we invented a bigger bomb, we were going to make more peace. And he mm. just was like, explain to me how that happened. I can't understand how that happened. So I was kind of primed for let me see how the case was made after the fact against him. Uh, one of the other things that I really struggled with, and I don't see that there's consensus online. And strangely, once somebody posts a theory, usually there's a bit of a bandwagon that rolls about what things, certain things mean. Mm -hmm. um, one that I've always spoken about in the past is the way that the mental health aspects and, you know, the disbandment of public health and how they abandon people like Whacking Phoenix's Joker. Yeah, but, that's a good point. But I thought it was more about perception and the, the way that we watch that film, or the way that we see a Gotham or DC film is always through the point of either Bruce Wayne or Batman. So we only <laughs> ever see his point of view. And we don't see maybe the the more nefarious side of the Wayne family, if it does exist and things like that. It's all from, it's almost like every Batman film we've seen is from an unreliable narrator. And also no, what, I um, what I also saw from that film was that it turns the camera to us and it says, this is what you expected. This is what your interpretations of this world was. And I'm now holding you to account for what you previously right. see. There's a brilliant bit that I've saw from a black American comic that's basically done most of his stuff over here since the 80s called Reginald D. Hunter. And um, I mean, he's like an Anglophile, like he's been here as long as he's been a stand-up comic. But we we oh, just like embrace him as this, it's just like very sort of like very smooth talking black American guy. And everybody just loved it because it was so like unfamiliar, but so smooth. Like he would only have to breathe once and your trousers would come off. Like he's not much of a smooth guy. Okay, very... with that lead in, I need links, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. And he said, I don't know what the lead in was, but he goes, no, I don't fuck with Batman. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, oh, was that the guy you sent me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. he was brilliant yeah. in that. He says, I don't fuck with Batman. He, he goes, got all that money, yeah, all that right. power. He doesn't take on the industrialist. He doesn't take on right. all this in institutional power. He goes and fucks with the guy standing on the corner. He goes, He nah, was so nah. on point there. Yeah. It was, it's but it was mind-blowing. It was like. It really blew my mind, too. Yeah, it's like you're peeking through the windows to the curtains to make sure the thought police aren't going to turn up. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I, you know, I'm very into, look, well, I don't have it near me, but my Batman mug is just out of reach over there. <laughs> I drink yeah. my coffee out of every morning. And I was just like, whoa, he has a really good point. Well, such I, a I good point. Yeah, it's such a good point. And I never thought about it until he said it. But like now I can't unsee it. Yeah, 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 it's not. It's it's actually quite naughty. <laughs> it is. It is. I like it. It's naughty in the um, best. But with that point of view, I liked that there was an alternative, and I liked mm -hmm. that it was quite. It was intentionally interpretive with Joker. The thing with Christopher Nolan is, and I think we've seen this from everything since Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Inception, that it's too clever by half. It's okay. it's not there to be understood. It's almost there to be it's practical to be thought of, to be understood, yeah. if you know what I mean. And yeah, it's something for you to hold on to and try to work through, but not to grasp yeah. fully. I think there is an element of too clever by half. And I think the middle arc of this is when it started to lose me. I started nodding a little bit, started to get wriggly 
I had a fully reclining seat where my legs are straight out in front of me. So this might be the difference. I did not go all the way back on purpose. uh, I put myself bolt upright and and leant forward with my hands on my knees to try and stick with it. Oh, wow. You really did try. Yeah. Like all that gobbledygook that I was just talking about with um, Joker. The thing with this is I don't think it was clear what the black and white meant. We're dealing with three non-consecutive timeframes. Now I've heard that, the color stuff is from Oppenheimer's subjective point of view, but the mm-hmm. the black and white is through um, sort of um, the objective lens of the future from straws from straws objective straws point, point of view. view. I've mm-hmm. heard that it is. Sorry, I've combined two different things. I've heard one is is just basically one's from straws point of view, one's from Oppenheimer's. I've heard one is to to show that it, the the black and white is the documented proof, but the color is the one that is subjective. And I've seen a lot of interpretations. Oh, so clever. when you're yeah. doing non-linear storytelling, I understand that when you put a stinger at the beginning of the film that's not resolved until between the second and third act, that works really well. Mm-hmm. When you have a stinger at the end of the first act that's not revealed until the end of the third act, I can understand that. It's kind of choose what mystery you want to use. Are you doing non-linear? Are you doing unreliable narrator against documentation? And the expedience that they introduce new characters. I mean, Jesus Christ, how many Oscar winners, let alone nominated actors, were in this film? Long, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lord have mercy. It was fucking... Like, Rami Malek was in it for, like, five minutes. And of course, when he's on screen, you're like, he's there for a reason. What the hell is he bringing? Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Not wrong. I don't think you're wrong. Was it Dale DeHaan as well? Was it Dale DeHaan? The guy that was in um, the one with um, the model doing the sci-fi, like, fantasy thing. Was he the one that was the friend of his that was, they were casting aspersions on in the... He was the tall, wispy jazz. He was also in Amazing Spider-Man 2 as Harry Osborn. Yeah, that's the guy. I always get Dale DeHaan and Paul Dano mixed up because of the same sort it's of age and have fancy too. names. But yeah, Dale DeHaan. Like, just to have him in there. I mean, he was like, he was the next big thing before the abortion of Spider-Man 2. But yeah, wow. Ridiculous. And as you said, Emily Blunt just hanging around in the background. almost oh, Mind-blowing every time she opens her mouth, let's be fair. Almost for the point of delivering a monologue in the final act. She's yeah. secondary. You don't feel she was a scene stealer? I felt like she was able to steal every scene she was in. Oh, when she spoke, but generally, yeah. like, she was... But I when mean, she was just in the background, you're right. Let's let's say she was probably in, what, like, five, ten minutes of each hour in the most? That's fair. Like, That's you're fair. talking, like, ten percent. And a lot of the time... I guess time... I'm going by her impact. Oh, I did love her in Devil Wears Prada. I forgot she was in that. Yeah, I forgot she was in that. Yeah. Wasn't she the mean one that was actually... Yeah. Like... She was very cutting in just the best possible sort of way. But yeah, she's very good at at allowing herself to play someone that is not, how can I put it, crucial to the narrative, but not necessarily likable. It's not easy to commit to that like she does. I think sometimes scarcity is what makes things precious. So Mm -hmm. there was maybe one or two too many characters that were noticeable in it maybe having a forgettable actor in a couple of these roles. I mean, it's outrageous, the the cast list. Outrageous. Well, because let's be fair, when we see someone that memorable, we we start thinking they're going to do something memorable, and some of them didn't. We're just happy to be there. (laughs) The Florence Pugh character, 
I mean, that's the whole film in itself. Like, I want to see her. They did not do her justice. I think, yeah, in a fair world, that would be an entirely different film that just occurs on the side of this film. That was tragic, tragic. It was compelling and almost tragically flippant. I think it was almost used as a character development tool for... It gave you a reason to doubt him as the unreliable narrator, basically. In one of the hearings, they professed him to be uh, an unrelenting womanizer. That was one of his right. roles. And it's they and, really only say that once, right? Yeah, but it yeah. felt very high impact. Like, I felt like that lived with me for the rest of the film. Jack Wade, I, I, I love oh, seeing Jack Wade. I kept waiting Wade. for him to do something I love it. Because whenever, whenever he pops into it, it's like, I yeah, the, the fucking boys. Yeah, that's me too. I was kind of like, Ooh. In anything, in anything he's in, I'm like, yes. And Benny right, Safdie, Benny Safdie was great. I love that he's now making a name of. Hey, like, don't get me wrong. I love the Safdie brothers' films. They are <laughs> outrageously tense. They are relentless. Casey Affleck, can't believe it. He's a, he's an Oscar. He was Oscar really winner. good. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even notice who who he was in. Did you even recognize Gary Oldman? I didn't. I didn't see. Yes, him. I did immediately when he was Truman. Yeah. God, this is just, it's out, like I said, it's just outrageous. Where's the, where's Safdie on here again? So he did Uncut Gems with with Adam Sandler, which was just brilliant. And before that, he did Good Time, which is the film that made me realise how good an actor Robert Pattinson actually is. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. What's it called it's again? A Good Time. And then the subsequent film was called Uncut Gems. Oh, I have heard of Uncut Gems, but I haven't seen it yet. I would be very surprised if they both weren't on Netflix. They, I know Uncut Gems is. I don't know about Good Good Times, but I'm going to find out tonight. They have an interesting group of actors they've worked with. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, Sadie Sink. I didn't realize this. He's, he's more prolific as an actor now. He was in Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. He was oh, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, the mini TV series. He was in Licorice Pizza, uh, Pieces of a Woman. When you told me you didn't recognize Casey Affleck, I was a little bit jealous because as soon as I saw him, I thought, oh, he's going to say something big. Actors with existing notoriety in every role distracts you. Yeah. Because it makes you feel like there should be more to their stories. You're not as fixed on the main story because everybody seems to have purchase in where it's going. Matt Damon's good. But sort of wasted too. He's not somebody that is only ever Matt Damon. Eventually... I do just see him as his character, if you know what I mean. Yes, I do know what you mean, because I have that issue with Tom Cruise. If I can't see him as character, I can't embrace him. But he always plays quite similar characters. That's true. <laughs> so, that, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I can't believe we've got as far as we... I can't believe we've arrived at this point without talking about Robert Downey Jr. Oh, my gosh. Like, I didn't know he was even in it, so he really kind of blew my mind. Did you know before you went in? I was aware that he was in the film, but I've not really been paying much attention to it all. So when I saw him, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I either forgot he was in the trailer or saw a trailer without him in it. None of the actors in this were appointed without an audition. And nobody... Really? And nobody who auditioned knew the part they were playing until they started filming. So they all auditioned. Before filming, he told each of the actors who they were going to be in the film. Why did I just flash back to like every production I was ever in in high school where in retrospect, it looked very, they planned the whole thing and put the puppets in their place. But on the outside, it felt like it was wide open. Yeah. 
Now, don't get me wrong, Robert Downey Jr. was probably giving it the performance of his career. Yeah, the only thing is, when he emotes, he emotes out of character. The whole way through, I didn't see him as Robert Downey Jr. However, when, especially in the third act, when he was emoting, when he was frustrated, when he was angry, impassioned, I heard bits of Tony Stark, especially in Endgame. Yeah, and I I don't think everybody did, but I know what you're saying. Mm. I know what Mm. you're saying. I have to say that some of my uneasiness with that bit, I chalked up to I'm uneasy with my historical significance of Oppenheimer too so yeah. why not be do you know what I mean I saw it as sort of purposeful ambiguity at the at mm. the moment but that might be the part of me that was a film minor talking yeah yeah did you feel that they glossed over Nagasaki and Hiroshima a little bit yes um I think they tried to get realistic when they um had the the bit of special effects they used like when they showed the faces peeling and things like that but compared to what I really know, they didn't do it enough justice. Yeah, I found that. And I I stepped out on, on the hour mark and the two hour mark. So I think I may have actually missed that immediate moment. It was but... just a quick moment where they showed the faces peeling when they did that sound trick that they did repeatedly. Oh, yeah. with The, <laughs> the sonic boom is like felt in your yeah. toes. I think with this film, it's open to reinspection, And I think there will be more value. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not butting back at this being a no, good film. I don't film. think you're panning it. No, you're just not by, talking about the reality. Not, by, yeah. not by, by any stretch. I'm just saying that I've heard a lot of best known, best Robert Downey Jr., Cillian Murphy's a lot for best actor. Like everything has been, like whatever parameter is, it's been set so far. All I've heard is mm-hmm. it's the absolute best. I've heard... I really, really had to delve into YouTube to find somebody that said, hey, let's take a step back. It's great, but it isn't perfect. And I think that's where I am. I mean, you say that. I mean, Dark Knight Rises and Tom Hardy's performance in that as Bane will forever be perfect. (laughs) I was going to say, your imitation of Bane will for me forever. I fucking love that. I've got to the point now where I can play my favourite scenes and I can do it word for word. Yes. Well, I will, I will admit on camera something you know in real life, which is that I begged you before to do Bane for me <laughs> in the real world. So that, that's right there. I don't beg people to do things <laughs> in general. Maybe he's wondering why you shoot a man before throwing him from a plane. Nobody cared who I was until I put on the mask. (laughs) (laughs) I get so excited even doing that. (laughs) It's perfect. I think that might be the cold of God. (laughs) Honestly, it's I, I know it wasn't played for jokes, but it is funny, but it's also menacing. He went to Christopher Nolan and he said, look. We can do the typical bad guy, bad guy voice, but there's also this Irish gangster in the West End of London in like the 60s and 70s. And he said, mm-hmm. oh, he speaks a bit like this and everybody respected him. But, you know, he was a bit, uh, he was very serious, but very frank. And he said, we can do that or we can just do it the normal way. And he went, no, we'll do it your way. And he goes, yeah, the rest, normal. Is, the rest is that. history. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, don't have me wrong, that film is fundamentally flawed in the way that they trap the police underground and the plot vehicles and the escalation are all 
kind of manufactured and don't kind of make sense in reality. In when you're talking about like a city the size, even if it's just the island of Manhattan, it still kind of doesn't make sense. But I I love it the most. And Batman's barely in it, or like an hour mark or something. I need to rewatch it now. Oh, I love because it. people have compared them as being his best. And that, I, I pressure. Just that whole opening scene when they when they pull the wings off the aeroplane. And imagine it was all practical because that's Christopher Nolan, isn't it? Like I imagine so. But mm-hmm. anyway, let's let's get back to the matter at hand because we've been we've been uh, we've been on we've been us. The one thing that I can't, I find very hard to dispute or or be contrary with is Gillian Murphy's performance as Oppenheimer. It it, it was oh, breathtaking. I find I find his appearance haunting, but I hadn't mm. really given him attention as an actor. Like I need to go back. It's his piercing blue eyes. How do you make They're... a villain who can seduce you? Right, like on some fundamental level, just take you with him wherever he wants to take yeah. you. And he ate like one arm a day to, to cut his weight to the size of Oppenheimer, to physically embody his persona. He ate what? I think it was an arm and a day. Good Lord. That makes sense because he was uh, a wisp. Yeah, he was gaunt, wasn't he? Completely. And they, they even make reference to it in the movie. Mm. There, they talk about how like it's uh, uh, I can't think of his name, but he's always trying to get him to eat in the movies, and it's not just because yeah, he's trying to offer yeah, him comfort; yeah, it's yeah. because he's like, "You need it, take it." And I like uh-huh. how charismatic he was in the first hour. That was one of the biggest draws to me. The way that yeah. they showed, like bit by bit, how his class was getting better. How his um, who was the gentleman who ran the lab? What was the actor's name? Mm. He used to be a heartthrob. Oh God, he did used to be a heartthrob, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, Hartnett, Josh Hartnett. He was in something else recently where I was like, wait, is that Josh Hartnett? And then it's like it disappears from his face. He was so good. Like, I never, if you wanted to ask me if he was ever going to become a great character actor, I would have said no possible way. But now, no possible I, way. Yeah. 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 A lot of billboard movies, for lack of a better way to put it. No, I know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Popcorn movies. <laughs> oh, um, do we say anything about. Well, yeah, we did kind of talk about it. I think the use of water droplets and subjective light and sound in the movie were all things that stood out to me. Uh, Like I felt kind of, okay, I'm just going to say it the way I feel it. Sort of pleased with myself when I noticed what they were doing with it. Mm. If that makes sense, does that make sense? And and thinking that I didn't waste my film liner completely. But but that probably means it was some sort of, um, you know, What's the word? Probably means it was over the top. The fact that I felt pleased with myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did feel like you needed a film major at times to really get to to get through it. So, well, I just kept thinking I need a notebook to pull out and yeah, write in. Yeah. But I was between. I had one single seat between two actual parties of people because it was that crowded, and yeah, I, yeah. I just didn't feel free to do any of my usual stuff. So on the metrics, as previously discussed, do you recommend it or do you not recommend it? Absolutely recommend it, if, if only for the purpose of discussion. I think I would struggle to recommend it to a wider audience. Really? Okay. 
Tim's made the great point before. He wouldn't stop anybody watching it and he'd want to hear what they said afterwards, but he probably also wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it to anybody. That is a different thing. I did think about some particular friends that I don't know if I'd want to see them to see this without briefing them first. So that yeah. is pretty professional, I guess. Yeah, if someone, if someone said to me, what films do you want to watch? I'd go, well, uh, what have you seen? <laughs> but... Right, but th there was but, that, and then I'd and then I'd find something. But if they said to me, "We're going to see Oppenheimer," which I reckon it's worth seeing, I'd go, "Yeah, yeah, go and see it." But it wouldn't yeah. be the one that I. It wouldn't be the top of the list for me. I do feel like there's some people I would want to debrief, but I really enjoyed it personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo! What a heady episode, hey? That was a great bit of lifting that we just did together. Wasn't it indeed? But out of curiosity, which did you prefer out of the two films? Was it chalk or Ooh. was it cheese? That's hard because they were hard, so different. It? It's hard for me to compare them directly, really. So I guess in that sense, I found them both very good, both worthwhile. But it's a different kind of worthwhile. Do you know what I mean? Like Oppenheimer really puts you through something, whereas Barbie's like a fun ride that also brings mm. home some good points. But which was I your favorite? Would recommend Spit it out, Tara. <laughs> I can't. I'm putting my hands over my mouth just for no, those you you fucking, You've sucked and sucked and sucked, and now I need you to spit. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before from anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you flagellated both films equally. Now I need to know which one comes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been commanded to spit in my life. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, you bloody... You, yeah, I just put to... What a way to win the episode, eh? With indecision. <laughs> I would say... I know which one when he left the cinema the other day, I would have said Barbie, but I think they're just... They are too different, aren't they? I think... They're so different, I can't compare uh, them. Here's the thing, right? Okay. Christopher Nolan has had 20-odd years to fine tune his process to making this film. And it didn't leave me satiated. Greta Gerwig has made three films of note and she's come up with Barbie and she's created something that is distinct, unique and fulfilled its modus operandi. Like it did That's exactly fair. what it was set up. I would probably say Barbie. I think there was no blueprint for a film like that. And they really took the reins and everybody, the cast, the crew. I hope it gets its due. Not down to the ribs and dick of it, but you know exactly, you, you know pretty much what you're getting from a Christopher Nolan film, right? So with, Bar with right, Barbie, right. I was like, oh, do you My know expectations what? were very different. Yeah. I think Greta Gerwig's reputation has been enhanced much more than Christopher Nolan's. I think he's maintained. I think that's a good point because he's had a high pitch that I recognize and I expect a certain thing from him when I see his name yeah. on a project. Whereas plus, with her, I'm kind of excited at the potential more than... Is the reassurance of being like a studio man, Warner Brothers and then Universal was just happy to have him. He had carte blanche to do exactly what he wanted. That's so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm certain that, I'm certain that Barbie's the one. Barbie's the one I choose out of the two. I'm certain that I understand your reasoning. I just really like them both to the point that I can't put one of them down. All right. Well, lucky Tim's back next week. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's not fair, but uh, yeah, we love our Tim, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I do. By the way, Tim, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> I was about to say, but I didn't want to. <laughs> oh, Tim's just big. <laughs>
kissed within an inch of his life. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes. By both of us, which just doesn't happen very often. Ooh, cheeky, cheeky. <laughs> uh, so I think we'll call it we'll call it a day there. So remember, people, if you've listened to the end, and indeed to the end, then please <laughs> hit subscribe. <laughs> Throw us a like, tell people about how wonderful I am. Tell people how truly magnificent Tara is. Share, yeah. like, comment. We are the end. Pod, one shot on YouTube. <laughs> we are the end with Spank Media. If you search for all four, then you'll get past all the erotica and you will find us sooner or later on that it's list. So, Instagram, Twitter, the yeah, oh, very much so. The end underscore <laughs> pod. If you'd like to just say goodbye to everybody, Tara. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening. Indeed. Thank you very much, indeed, Tara, for making it onto the episode. It has been an absolute delight and a pleasure, as it always is, to be in your company as a friend, as a colleague, and maybe one day a lover. <laughs> <laughs> I am Matt. I am the regular co-host, one of the regular co-hosts of the End Podcast. And that leaves me one thing to say. We have been, and this is the end. <laughs> I will pay you money if you let me say that line one day. I really want to say uh, that. Line. <laughs>